0: Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face, if not on Zoom. We hope you will, commonthreadchurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. I am pretty sure that we have not left the Christian tradition. I am equally sure that what's happened is that the Christian tradition has left the Christian tradition. I'll explain that more deeply as we go through this lesson in the weeks to come. But I certainly have a lot of sympathy for the question because I grew up in a traditional Christian church. And we don't do a lot of the things that traditional Christian churches do. And we do a lot of things that traditional Christian churches do not do. We don't. Focus heavily on reading scripture when we gather. Uh, We haven't taken the Eucharist together since before the pandemic. We don't call what I'm doing right now a sermon. Uh, We don't call it preaching, although Julie still calls me a preacher. (laughs) You heard last Sunday in our Easter lesson that we're not much for doctrine. A list of beliefs that folks need to believe in order to belong, that's not really how we're organized. We don't pray the prayers that other churches pray. We don't talk about the afterlife, a heaven to gain or a hell to shun. We don't talk much about sin or salvation, and when we do, you would hardly recognize that that's what we're talking about. We don't have an altar call. We don't have an invitation to get saved, which is what Good Christian churches do. We don't even use the word God very much. Trying to reimagine the word to use other, not shaped like a human being, images for the divine, we try not to use the word so we don't get that slot in our heads to kick in. So, if it does not quack like a duck, <laughs> is it really a duck? Are we Christian? Really, are we Christian? So that's our new lesson. We're gonna be asking that question. And today, to help us start thinking about the question, we're going to start thinking about it by not looking at personal spiritual practice, but instead looking at the question from the perspective of public collective practice. Now you will notice that that list of things that I just went through, those are things that people wonder about when they wonder if we are a Christian place. And you'll also notice about that list of things that they usually happen in a church building and they usually happen on some Sunday. That's where the question usually comes up for folks. It's the form and the focus of our public religious practice. The things that we do and the things that we don't do in public practice, those are usually the things that bring up the question are we Christian? Now we're going to see next week that's not the only way to approach the question. I don't even think it's the best way to approach the question but it is often what is in people's minds when they ask the question so let's start there. Now we're going to start with a word and I bet you're not going to like the word. I bet it's going to produce negative emotions in your mind when you hear it. And the word, get ready for the negative feelings, the word is institution. We're going to talk today about institution. People often have negative feelings when I refer to common thread as a religious institution. First, we've got discomfort with the first word, religion. That came up during what are you thinking uh, here in the room last week, and for good reason. Second, if religion has a negative connotation, institution, doubly so. So let's start by defining that term, institution, and let's think about how how we think about institution informs this larger question, are we Christian, are we a Christian institution? Okay. These are the questions that we're going to be talking about after the lesson. I want you to have some time to be thinking about them before we get to that so it's not sprung on you. We're going to be talking about a big picture definition of what healthy institution could look like and the role that healthy institution can have in our lives. So... The question is, have you ever experienced that role or that function? Have you ever had an experience of positive, as we're going to describe it, healthy institution? And if so, what did you learn from the experience or based on what you learned from the experience, what do you hope the healthy religious institution looks like on the other side of the rebuilding that is set before our generation? So that's where the lesson's going. Be thinking about that while the lesson goes on so that you're ready when it's time for the questions. So I was having a conversation with Jack Fry a few weeks ago, and I said, I think you've got a lot to contribute to the community, and I wanted to ask you if you can imagine a role that you would find fulfillment playing in the, the community. And he asked a really good question. He said, well, yeah, I can imagine a lot of things. I can imagine X and Y and Z. But what is, he asked, what is the focus of the community right now? Because what I'd like to do, if possible, is explore a role that is a fit for me that is moving in the direction of that focus. And I said, great question. Let me tell you what the focus of our community is right now. I said, over the next six years, we are going to be finalizing and documenting and making transmittable to the next generation of leadership what healthy religious institution looks like. (laughs) That was not what he expected. And he was thoughtful. And we finished our Zoom, planned for another after some time to think. And the next Sunday he saw me and he said, you know, I've been thinking about that thing you said. And he didn't say it this way. He was much kinder. (laughs) But what he said was, Doug, you seemed like a smart guy what are you thinking? (laughs) Institution, what is wrong with you? Either you have a very different understanding of that word or you are nuts. (laughs) Now I know what he's saying because I've said the same thing for a lot of my life. The first eight years of our community's life together, we worked hard to be a not-institution. A few of you were here back then, and you will remember those days as being the not-doing-anything church. Because when you don't do institution, you really don't do anything. We were pretty freewheeling, pretty disorganized. It was a little bit messy. It was fun, but it was a little bit messy. So we were that, a not-institution, because... Many of us had been chewed up and spit out by institutions, and especially religious institutions. Now, you have probably noticed that none of our social institutions are functioning particularly well these days. Government is stuck in this partisan do loop, can't move forward. Education has been reduced to policing math problems to make sure that they don't have political bias. Family is kind of fragile, often a source of pain for people. We don't trust businesses. It seems like they have a vested interest in exploiting us. And religion may be the worst of the bunch. Now, for reasons that we've talked about at other times, Our whole society is in the process of tearing down our institutions. The institutions that we have today were worked out, hammered out when we lived in a very different worldview than we live in now. And consequently, because we don't function with the same basic assumptions about reality that we used to, the institutions that were designed for those basic assumptions aren't working for us very well in this newly emerging worldview that the whole society is coming to understand. Now, the breakdown of institutions before we have rebuilt new institutions, which we will do, it is an ugly, ugly process. And it is scary because if you live in a large society, you have to depend upon our institutions. And we right now cannot depend upon our institutions. And so that is scary. And when it gets scary, it gets mean. You might have noticed things are a little mean these days. And churches, we're scared. The old ways are falling apart, and we cannot see a way toward a bright future. And so scared, yeah, has meant that we've also gotten mean. And we church folk, our reputation has been pretty tattered over the last few decades. So when I'm talking about institution, here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that religious institution as you might have experienced it is a good thing. I'm actually saying quite the contrary. This is from the perspective of religious institution, one of our darkest times in history. So why in the world would I say to Jack our focus for the next six years is to document and to finalize the transmissibility of religious institution? Why would I say that? Well, here's why. Just before the pandemic, I asked Beth uh, if she would do some banners for the lobby. It is quite unfortunate that the week that those banners arrived from the printer, we went into lockdown. <laughs> And now we're getting ready to move, so now the lobby is acting more as a storage room than it is as a gathering place in which we see beautiful things on the wall. So all in all, a pretty unsatisfying project for Beth. Commiserate with her if you would, please. (laughs) Hopefully they will have pride of place when we find a new space, but it just kind of didn't work. So when I was asking her to do the project, I asked her, she asked me to put into words some of the core principles of Common Thread that then she could turn into banners. And this is one that I gave her. We find the divine better together. We find the divine better together. Now here's why that made it on our core principle list. And I hope that you have heard me say this at least 100 times. Human beings are designed for together. Human beings are designed for together. Let me give you a little context for that. I'll bet that you have got a bunch of brilliant ideas in your head, and I'll bet they really are brilliant. I also bet that those ideas, were you to integrate them into your life, would make your life significantly better. I also, also bet (laughs) that you've got quite a few more brilliant ideas in your head van you've got processes and procedures in place that turn those ideas into actual things that you do actual ways that you think actual things that you live out consistently day in and day out if that's not true i am shocked <laughs> now as someone who pedals in brilliant ideas i give them out like candy all the time you are so fortunate <laughs> As someone who peddles in brilliant ideas, I know that brilliant ideas without processes that actualize those ideas very quickly become blah, 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 blah. Now, maybe you can see coming a healthy way that we can begin to rethink and reimagine the institution. I hope you can see it coming. By the way, Jack, I just told a story about you. (laughs) Ha! When human beings work together, we are forced to turn brilliant ideas into systems. If we don't, we end up creating chaos. When we are alone, we are not forced to turn brilliant ideas into systems, but Here's the thing, we are social beings, we humans. And despite our glaring blind spot for American individualism, our design specs are work together design specs. We do things well when we do them together. We build bridges well when we build them together and we find the divine better together. When we don't do things together, we don't do them nearly as well. We're not nearly as good at things when we do them alone. But here's the thing individualism is so much easier it is so much more convenient. It is so much less hassle to not have to create the systems that will make it possible for us to do things together. Doing things together is very, very inconvenient. Together forces us to do something that we don't want to do. It forces us to organize ourselves and to create procedures and to create processes and to create systems because without them we can't work together. Without those processes in place, we can't achieve bigger outcomes together. We can't learn from each other. We can't but work cross-grain to one another. But again, designing those processes and designing those procedures and systems, it is a bunch of extra work. How many times have you said, oh, It's just easier to do it myself. I need help, but it's just so much easier to do it myself. And that's true. But as approaches go, it's not very good at building bridges. (laughs) Oh, it's just easier to do it myself doesn't apply if you're going to build the Golden Gate Bridge. It's also not going to work very well if you're going to find the divine. We do big things. We do important things better Together, and so all that hard work that we are required to do when we do together—the hard work of designing systems and procedures that help us not bump into each other, that make it able, make us able to work together—it turns out when we do that extra work, we stumble backwards, not even knowing it was going to happen. Into how human beings turn ideas into daily life reality. When we create procedures, we are able to teach something to somebody else. And when we are able to teach something to somebody else, we are able to work together and we're able to create bigger outcomes than we are able to create by ourselves, bigger than we could do if we stayed alone. When we create procedures... We create the possibility that you are going to experience the same thing that I did, that she did, because we've turned an individual experience into a process, into a procedure that produces an outcome. Now, I hope you heard me mention, that's a lot of extra work. It is extra work, but in the end, it is the work that we have to do to be able to take all those brilliant ideas that you've got floating in your head and turn them into actualized realities that you live in your daily life. It is how, that extra work, it is how we turn brilliant ideas into real things, real things that we live out in our daily lives. Until we have procedures, until we have systems good ideas stay good ideas. So I bet you've read a life-changing book. This book is life-changing and I bet that book hasn't changed your life. I bet you've got at least one of those. I know I have. That happens not because the ideas are not brilliant. It's not because the ideas are not life-changing. It's because we don't have systems to integrate those ideas into our daily lives. And that's primarily because we approach things as individuals, not as system-creating togetherness. Together forces us to do the work creating the systems that eventually become pathways to enduring change. So here's an example. We have a brilliant idea in our community, and that brilliant idea is that self-awareness makes us better people. Brilliant, right? It's a brilliant idea. When we know our often unconscious internal drivers, when we can see them as they are kicking in, we are able to stand back from those impulses, stand back from those instincts, and make better choices. We are not driven by our habits. We can do a better job of living, a better job of loving our people, a better job of making the world a better place. Again, it's a brilliant idea, this whole concept of self awareness. But that idea, without procedures, rarely turns into actual self-awareness. So a bunch of people gathered at my house yesterday, and we gathered to learn a procedure, a system our community hammered out together over several years, a process to help us help each other learn how to become more self-aware. So step one, You already know where this is going because a procedure starts with steps that we can follow. Step one, print out this piece of paper with these questions on it. Step two, set aside some quiet time to answer those questions by yourself. Step three, get together with someone you trust and tell them what you wrote down. Step four, clarify to them as much as you can about your blind spots, the things that you weren't seeing. Step five, explore more deeply where the stories that you tell yourself are and might not be true enough. Well, it turns out that when we do X and then we do Y and then we do Z, if the procedures have been tested and tried and we've been testing and trying them, uh, here's uh, a hint. That's what institutions do together. They test and try out and design procedures. Then if we follow those procedures, they do turn an idea like self-awareness is a good thing. Brilliant idea. We turn that into an actualized reality like being more self-aware on my job or making better decisions as I am raising my children. Now, if you think what Jack thought, institution, what is wrong with you? You think that for very good reasons. Because here's the other thing that is going on in this moment in history around institutions. You've probably experienced institutions as something unhelpful, maybe command and control, or maybe you experienced it as toxic and harmful, or maybe you experienced that is, uh, experience an institution as irrelevant and outdated, because for the most part, the institutions that we know today have been that, especially are religious institutions, commanded control, toxic and harmful, irrelevant and outdated. Well, here's something I've noticed when people come and check out Common Thread. If they've been in a religious institution, they often initially feel a sense of relief. Ah, when they get here, a noticeable absence of commanded control, a noticeable absence of toxic and harmful, a noticeable absence of irrelevant and outdated. But after that first blush, After that first sense of taking a breath of relief, hey, wait a minute. You don't do these things. You do do those things. What are you, New Age Buddhists? Now, I'm going to answer that question directly next week. Here's an unfortunate thing about institutions. They have a life cycle. And in that life cycle, there's a particularly ugly stretch. At some point along the way with depressing regularity, the focus of the institution shifts from developing systems that help people actualize brilliant ideas into their lives. They shift from that to the protection of the institution itself. Political parties were formed to implement some brilliant social ideas one party formed to protect and to conserve hard-won principles that we know work and function well. The other party formed to change and to improve things that are not working well for everybody. Brilliant ideas. But at some point, protecting the political party itself becomes more important than serving the big idea that formed the party in the first place. That happens to institutions with depressing regularity. The Catholic Church formed to implement important spiritual principles, nurturing the spiritual health of people in the community and caring for the world around the community, especially the vulnerable. But at some point, protecting the institution itself, like when the institution was being threatened by systemic pedophilia, Protecting the institution became more important than serving the big ideas that formed the institution in the first place. That happens to institutions with depressing regularity. And if you were dropped into our society right now with no sense of history, you would see a whole bunch of institutions whose primary focus has devolved to protecting the institution. And if you were just dropped into our society right now, you would not know about all the times when institutions were organized around implementing brilliant ideas into people's everyday lives. We say this all the time. From a historical perspective, it is our Christian tradition's way to lose our way. We say that because we're us by the way, it's not just true about us, every institution that exists out there. It is our way as human beings to lose our way. But here's the thing about a tradition like the Christian tradition. We are a tradition because we have weathered the storms of time for long enough to become an institution. And what that means is we also, it is our way, That when we lose our way, it is our way to find our way again. That's how we weather time, and that's how we become a tradition. In fact, it's happened so many times, it's been going on for so long, we've even got some Bible about it. (laughs) Look at that. Isaiah 11 says, when the institutions that we've built, Isaiah was talking in the context of the Hebrew nation, which was kind of synonymous with the Hebrew religion. When, not if, when our institutions lose their way, when we get more attached to our rituals or to our doctrines than to the brilliant ideas of justice and compassion and community, it's like a tree that has become blighted The tree is going to have to be chopped down, and so that the blight doesn't spread, it has to be burned to ashes, which is what is happening to our Christian religion right now. We are being burned to the ground. It has been so disheartening trying to find a place for us to meet, as I meet with minister after minister after minister, looking for a place that we can share space, realizing how harmed and how hurt the Christian church is right now, and how frightened we have become because we can't see a way forward. But here's the promise that Isaiah made to those people a long time ago, which I think is a promise that applies to us again this many generations later. Out of the stump, there will come a shoot of new life. We will once again work together to pursue virtue and goodness. We will once again work together to care for those in need. We will once again watch over the poor and challenge what harms us and challenge what harms people. And we will once again stand for what is right and what is good. With an eye to long history, we do find our way again every time we have lost it. And that's where we are in history right now. Our institutions have lost their way, command and control, toxic and harmful, irrelevant and outdated, but we are also beginning to find our way again. And as the blight is being burned away out of the stump, we are finding new life to follow, new brilliant ideas that change everything. I watch it happen all the time in our community, all the time, people's lives being transformed as together we are taking brilliant ideas, ancient brilliant ideas, enacting them by turning them into processes that we can then follow together that are transformative for us as they have been for generations before us. When we do those practices, we are finding our way back again to the function and purpose of healthy religious institution. So what that means, that little shoot of life coming out of the stump, is that healthy new institutions are in our future. They're not here yet, but they are in our future. New and healthy processes to help us together actualize brilliant ideas into our lives. That is in our future. We are finding our way again. Systems that build community and help us belong, but also help us selflessly invite others to also belong with us. Systems and procedures that build trust so that we can share our spiritual lives and our vulnerabilities one with another. Systems that help us look out for one another when life hits those difficult times. Systems that provide structure and build into our days the hygiene for our souls. Structure to help us do meditation and do self-examination and do reflection and learning and serving others. Systems that remind us to aspire to and to draw more deeply from the deepest and the truest that is within us. A rhythm of life, systems and procedures that create a rhythm that point us back to something bigger than ourselves, remind us to seek out the divine in nature and in silence and in our stories and in community. Healthy religious institution, finding our way again is in our future. So why all that talk about institution and finding our way back to the healthy function that they serve when we're asking the question, are we Christian? The church things that we do together, common thread. The Christian things that we do together, common thread. They are different from the things that we used to do, they are different. We were born into a historical moment in which it is our job to figure out how to make our institutions alive and vibrant and healthy again. To do that, we go into the past, we find out what has worked, We translate the ancient wisdom into our current worldview. And when we do that, we design new processes and new procedures to achieve very ancient outcomes. And when we do that, the new stuff we do feels weird. The new stuff we do is not like the stuff we used to do. It feels different from the old things that we used to do. It is not the same, doesn't feel the same. So are we Christian? Is Common Thread a Christian institution? I'm going to make the case in this lesson for yes. But we are also keenly aware of this historical moment into which you and I were born. The hard work of rethinking and reimagining and stripping down and building back and making mistakes and then realizing we've made mistakes and then trying again and then doing that whole process over and over again, that is the time into which we were born. 500 years ago, we did the same thing, called it the Reformation. We're in the throes of another of those times seeking life and health in the things we do together. When we gather for a religious service, what are the things we do together? When we gather the first Saturday after Labor Day to learn the Enneagram together, when we do meditation groups online so that we can be at home while we do them together, when we work on building processes and procedures that we can do together that are transformative of our lives, we're doing the things that achieve the ancient outcomes using procedures that function in the world in which we now live. So when you show up at Common Thread, and when you see us not doing a lot of things that good Christian institutions do, and you see us doing a lot of other things that they don't do, that may not mean we are not Christian. It may mean that we are living in this historical moment when the very definition of what Christian means is in flux. The very definition of what a Christian institution is, is in flux. Now, later in the lesson, we're gonna explore the word Christian. We're gonna look at it from a broad historical perspective. We're gonna see that as the things that we Americans or in the West grew up thinking were Christian stories, were Christian ideas, are not the whole story. There's a whole bunch in our heritage, a whole bunch in our tradition, a whole bunch that if you grew up in the late 20th or the early 21st century in a religious institution, you don't know anything about, and it's our heritage. And from that perspective, yes, we are Christian, but we are also committed to this historical moment, the burning away of the blight And the finding of that new shoot of life. It's a historical moment for rebuilding in the ruins. It's difficult emotionally to even acknowledge that something as cherished as the Christian church is in ruins. But people, it is in ruins. Rebuilding in the ruins is what Christian means right now. What institution means right now. And the burning of a blighted tree is an apt metaphor. Because everything that we thought was Christian is burning down. And that is scary. And it is troubling. It's even more scary because what Christian institution looked like before the reworking and what it's going to look like after the reworking, completely unrecognizable to one another. We did this 500 years ago. I just mentioned the medieval church and the Reformation church, unrecognizable to one another. This time around, I suspect it's going to be even more unrecognizable because since Rome co-opted the Christian church in 323 Common Era, the Christian institutions was defined by exclusion. We defined our religion as the one and only way that you could not experience the divine through the other ways. And But now our emerging worldview is allowing us to look at things in our own heritage to help us realize ah, that might not be true. And that is really scary. It is really troubling, especially when we are in the business of protecting an institution that has always thought that way. That's what we're going to talk about next week. This week, our generation is being called upon, by history, to rebuild in the ruins. We've done it before, quite a few times. It's kind of an exciting time to be alive. I hope you're excited. I hope when we are building systems and processes together, when we are finding life and vitality together, I hope you're thinking this is the best thing that we could be doing. I think that. But I also know that there's a lot of really good people who look at what we're doing and say, that is just too scary. So in Dwelling Divine, may we continue to become healthy and spiritual people, finding in our life together the processes that are transformative. Amen. Okay, folks, uh, let's see, where are we now? Oh, yeah, we do uh, the offering. (laughs) That's what we do next. So, everybody donates online now. We go to our website to the button at the top, and as you do that, keep in mind what I say all the time. An investment in community has a rich return on investment. When we give our time and our energy and our love and our dollars, here's what the community does. It takes those resources and amplifies them because we're all in this together and gives it back to us in the form of a healthy environment in which we flourish, grow, and are transformed. So again, we all donate online. If you go to the button at the top, there's lots of different ways to do it. You can set up ongoing. You can do it one time. You can do it. You can do it by text. So lots of ways we do that online. So uh, what else are we doing? See, n- normally I uh, have this on the back wall. It just flashed. Oh yeah, we did that already. Okay. Yeah, here's where we are. We're gonna dismiss those people. <laughs> That's what we're doing now. <coughs> You folks are about to dismiss you. Uh, next week, you've heard it. We're, uh, we're going to try to do what we do here in the room uh, online. So here's what I just mentioned a moment ago. This thing, this online, what are you thinking? It's going to become a thing if we, that includes you, make it a thing. If we don't make it a thing, it won't be a thing. This is one of those places where you can invest your time and your energy and your love in community and watch for that return investment. So next Sunday, May 1st, after the lesson, we'll do Zoom with you all as well. Who's going first? Sue, are you going first? You have no idea. All right. So one of, somebody will be there to host you. If you would, put your hand on your heart. And let's dismiss those folks. Let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness are within us because we carry the light of the divine within us. And if you would, extend your other hand to our city. Let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. We'd love to connect with you in real life, commonthreadchurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online to find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life, commonthreadchurch.org slash newcomer. And if you